I, I will tell you right up front, if the hair didn't give it away already, I'm not Eric Huffman, and, um, and I, I only wish I had his gift for preaching, but, um, but I love to preach, and uh, I love God's Word, and so I've been praying uh, for you guys today and praying for this service, and I know God will do some, um, some wonderful things in our midst if we're just open to what His Spirit has to say to us and do in our hearts and our lives uh, together. Um, it is a little ironic, um, maybe more a God thing than irony, uh, that when Eric asked me to preach, he asked me to preach on this particular text, the prodigal son, uh, because it's always been probably, you know, it's hard for pastors to have a favorite scripture, but this is one of my favorites and one that relates most closely to my heart and to my life. And when I, when I heard the name that you all had chosen, was chosen for this church, the story, it, it has been my prayer ever since that because I believe this story is the clearest example of God's love for us, that, that I, I prayed and still pray that, that this would become something of your story, uh, that you would be about sharing this kind of uh, story of God's love uh, and experience of God's grace uh, with others. Here I am uh, preaching, as I've been praying about that passage for you, here I am preaching on that text today. I just think our God is so cool to work out the details for us sometimes. Um, so I'm going to get us right into the scripture reading, and, uh, and I think it will be on the screen for you. I think, yes, there, thank you. Um, and, and I think it's important when we read scripture always that we consider context. And so while typically the reading for the prodigal son starts with verse 11 in Luke's gospel, chapter 15, I wanted to start with verse 1. Because you need to understand the context of who Jesus is speaking to when he says these words and, and what's going on. So beginning with verse 1. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners uh, were coming near to listen to him, Jesus. And, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and, and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Now, now, Jesus actually told him three parables here. We're going to skip to the last of those parables, beginning with verse 11. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. And so he divided his property uh, between them. A few, uh, a few days later, uh, the younger son gathered together all that he had, and he traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine came upon the land and took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out, this is Jewish young man, went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, and that's an important, important line here, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. 
I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And so he set off and he, and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And, and, and he ran and, and, and put his arms around him and, and kissed him. And, and then he said to him, uh, th then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned uh, against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him and get a ring and put it on his finger and sandals for his feet and get the fatted calf and and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead he's alive again he was lost now he's found they began to celebrate now the older son the elder son uh, was out in the field and when he came in and he heard all of the commotion he approached the house he heard the noise the dancing, he called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And he replied, your brother has come home and your father's killed a fatted calf because he now has him back and, and um, he's safe and sound. And, and, and then the elder son became angry and, and he refused to go in. And so his father came out to him. And, and began to plead with his son. But the son said to him, Listen, for all these years I have I've been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your commands, yet you've never even given me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who was uh, who has devoured your property with prostitutes you killed a fatted calf for him then the father said to him son you're always with me and all that i have is yours but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and now has been found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Um, there are many things to consider in this passage. Many messages contained in what Jesus is saying here. Um, First, I think it is important that we consider the audience, and that's why I wanted to begin with those first verses. There's tax collectors, uh, and there are sinners, and, and then there are the ones who are gathering around him to hear what he has uh, to say. And, and the Pharisees, the scribes, remember these are the church folks, right? The Pharisees and scribes are the, are the church folks, and, and, and they're not happy about it at all, and they began to grumble and gripe. Hello, church. They begin to grumble and gripe. They're not happy. They're, they're upset. 
And uh, sometimes uh, that's the way the church can seem to the world. Look at the kind of people he's hanging out with. That's horrible. God surely couldn't be pleased with this. And then Jesus shares these three parables about what it really means to be lost and what it means to be found and uh, in, in, in the kingdom of God. And it's the last one of these parables that we're focused on here. It seems clear to me that in this story, the sinners and tax collectors are, are represented uh, by the younger son. And, and the message for those who've fallen away from their relationship uh, with God, the message for them and for all of us, is that it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Just come home. Come home. Anything and anyone can be forgiven in the kingdom of God. Amen? Come home. And, um, and then there's this older son, angry and upset that the father would waste his time with, with sinners like his brother. And, and again, it seems clear that Jesus intends the older brother to represent the Pharisees and the scribes, the church folks. And um, those who tend to think maybe more highly of themselves than they ought to, those who tend to be judgmental, those who over time have either forgotten or maybe never really understood what grace is about, uh, those who are hypocritical, those who see themselves as superior to those sinners, and, and who consequently are lost themselves in an even more troubling way because they don't even realize how much they need to repent, how much they need redemption. As if somehow their works, going to church and doing good, have earned them the grace of our God. And, and it's quite telling that in this story, while the younger son does come home in repentance and is forgiven and, and, and is restored to his relationship with the father, note that the story is left open-ended uh, regarding the older son, the church. We don't know if he ever realized or accepted his father's great love for him. If he ever repented of his sins, we don't know in this story. We're not told. One of the reasons that I'm excited about this new church is because of the spirit and the energy. Kathy and I have been here several times. The spirit, the energy, the enthusiasm that I see and experience when I'm here uh, with you uh, to help others know the love of Christ, uh, to help others experience something of God's grace, uh, the passion that you, that you have for that. I was thrilled to see in the bulletin we received today the, the new members received and the baptisms celebrated. And, and, and it's, it, you're, you're passionate about that and wanting others to experience the love of Christ in their lives because you know what it's done for you. You know what he's done in your life. And it's not because you think you're any better than anyone else. Far from it. Quite the opposite. It's because you know how much we all fall short and fail and how much we all stand in need of God's love and God's grace. And you, all, and you know that God can, Christ in, in your life and in mine, can change our hearts and lives and change the world. That's the heart of the Christian experience. That's the heart of the Christian witness. But sadly, in churches all over the world today, there are too many older brothers and the perception that the world tends to have of the church, you can see the statistics everywhere, 
They love what they know of Jesus, but they're not too crazy about what they know of his church. Somehow, church, we have to change that perception. We have to show them the love of Jesus Christ. Today's Father's Day, and, and I'll say this up front because I'll, I'll talk a little about Father's Day in my message. I think that's uh, in large part why Eric asked me to speak today. But I know that Father's Day is not the happiest of holidays for some of us here. Some who maybe have lost their father recently or some for whom their father maybe uh, you just didn't have a great relationship with your dad. And I am, I am deeply sorry about that. I hope that above and through your pain you're able to hear what God has given me to share with you today. I'm going to try to keep our focus on what it means to be a godly father. But I will say to you that everything I'm going to say to you really applies to being a godly mother, to being a godly person um, uh, as well. Uh, so the, the actions of the father, um, who represents God in this story, but also represents the goal for us. I mean, if we're God followers, represents the goal for us in being godly parents. Um, sort of gives us a picture of how we're called to live. And, and the image that we have here is that for however long this youngest son has been gone from home, his father has been out on the porch, if you will, watching and waiting and, I'm guessing, praying and hoping against hope that his son would come back home. If he'd known where to go to find him, I think he would have gone after him, but he didn't know where he was. And then when, we, then when we get this image of the son off in the distance, and as soon as he sees him, notice what the father does here. He, he's wearing a robe the Palestinian men of the day did, and he hikes up his robe, and he takes off running to his son. Now, you need to know that in that time and in that day that for a man to run in public was uh, just kind of unbecoming. It, was, uh, it just um, wasn't accepted and to hike up his robes, oh my goodness. And that's exactly what he does here, though. The father doesn't care about those conventions. The father cares about his son, and he's filled with compassion and can't wait to get to him and give him a hug and give him a kiss and welcome him back home. And the son, the son's got his story all laid out. He's got his, his confession all laid out for his father, right? And he barely gets into it at all. The father doesn't care about that. He cares that his son is home. And it's time to celebrate. It's time to party. Killing the fatted calf, when we read that, it may not seem like a big deal. It's a huge deal. That was reserved for really special occasions and celebrations. And so, and so the father's saying, this is a big deal. My son is home. And it's time for us to have a party. Um... And then there's the older brother. Um, and and, and, and the, uh, the older brother, um, when he begins to, um, he comes back, he's outside, he won't even go in, which is kind of disrespecting his father as well. And again, the father goes out to his son um, out of his love for him. And he begins to try to plead with him to come in and join the party. Now, now listen to the older brother's argument. Listen, he says. He doesn't say father. He doesn't address him as father. It's almost like he says, listen, old man, listen. 
Now, the younger son, when he comes back, addresses his dad as father, but not, but not here, not, not the older one. Listen, I've worked like a slave for you all these years, and I've never disobeyed you. Do, do you hear it? I have earned my way. I deserve better than this. And you never even gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But now, he says, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours has come back. This son of yours. I don't claim him. I disown him. I'm much better than him. So much more deserving of your love than him. But now this son of yours who's wasted everything you gave him in wild living comes home and you throw him a party. Listen to the father's reply. Son, he's not going to let him forget who he is. Son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because, do you hear it? This brother of yours, not this son of mine, this brother of yours, he won't let him let go of the relationship. He won't let him walk away from that. He was dead, now he's alive, he was lost, and now he's found. A loving father wants nothing more than a close, loving relationship with his children. And he'll go to whatever links, even the loss of his dignity to go after them, to welcome them back home, to help them know how much they're loved. Well, um, so, so I spent a lot of time, it being Father's Day weekend now, I spent a lot of time in, in preparation for this message thinking about my own father, Eric's grandfather. Um, and, um, and, and of course, on this occasion where we are thankful for, show appreciation for our fathers, uh, all the men uh, in our lives and in our churches. So I was thinking about my own dad and um, the things that he's taught me along the way, not so much by the things that he said, but by his actions. And um, please hear me say this, I don't mean to imply at all that my father's perfect, he's not. But there have been so many things that he taught me along the way. I'm, I'm going to sort of run through this a little bit with you. In keeping with who you are as a church, let me share my story with you of how I've experienced the love of God through my father. When I was about eight years old, some friends of mine and I were um, over at a um, little park, and we were, um, we were testing our arms out on this, um, on this electric pole and uh, seeing who had the best arm and could hit it. And so I just hauled off and threw as hard as I could and just barely, I'm remembering it this way anyway, just barely missed that pole but managed to hit quite squarely the back window of a passing car. And um, window shatters, brakes screech, um, and five kids took off running in different directions to their homes. I hadn't been home very long <laughs> when a familiar car pulled up in the driveway. And uh, the gentleman got out and he told my father what had happened and I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, I am in a fix now. And my father, um, now I was in for a good stern talking to about, about responsibility and, and about uh, taking you know, responsibility for your for your actions, um, but my dad had to pay the debt for me. My father redeemed me in that situation, 
gave me another chance. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying to us today. But, but my dad set things right again for me. He redeemed me. And it seems to me that is something we can learn from the story of the prodigal son. The God who has redeemed us and has given us new life can and will use us, if we'll allow him to, to redeem the lives of others. When they've fallen on hard times, when they've made bad decisions, to restore them and help them turn their lives around. If you noticed the post yesterday that uh, Eric sent, I think, out uh, uh, from the Dominican Republic, he used that same language about redeeming people's lives and restoring them. But we don't have to travel to the Dominican Republic to do that. There are people all around us who are hurting and in need. When I was about 10 years old, I was helping my, my dad in the yard one summer. We had this gopher problem. Drove my dad nuts. He couldn't stand it. Always kept a really nice yard. These gophers were just leaving tunnels and mounds everywhere. It was driving him crazy. He tried all kinds of things. Well, now he's bought this metal gopher, I'm going to call it a trap, really more of a death trap, if you will. And, um, and, and the way it worked was, it was this horrendous thing, and it, and it was spring-loaded, and you pull the hammer back, and there's these six metal spikes, and, well, you can see it's designed to not end well for the gopher. And... Um, so my dad has set the trap. He has pulled the hammer back. It's cocked and ready to go. And, and, and me being the curious son, standing there looking at it, see this little metal piece that's kind of shiny. And I said, as I touched it with my toe, what's that? You want to guess what it was? It was the trigger to release the trap. And how I didn't end up with six spikes in my foot, I don't know. I think my dad's quick reaction saved me. What I do know for sure is it didn't save him because his finger ended up caught between that metal hammer and the plate that it hits on, pinched in between. And, and I know that there's a part of him that wanted to say to me, what on earth were you thinking? But he didn't. He slowly released the trap. He went... Inside, he took care of this huge blood blister that was already developing on his finger. And when I came in the house a little while later, <laughs> and he could see how upset I was, I said, I'm okay, don't worry about it, it's all right. And he gave me a hug. I'd hurt my father badly, but he was understanding and he was forgiving. And don't you know the father in our reading today was deeply hurt when his younger son said to him, give me my share of the estate. You know what that means, right? He's basically saying to him, because that's not even his until his father's dead. So he's basically saying to his father, I wish you were dead. You are dead to me. Don't you know his father was crushed by that? But his love for his son was greater far than his pride or his own pain. And that's why he ran to greet him. That's why the hug and the, and the kiss, uh, to call him son again, to let him know that all was forgiven. Maybe the best, most recent example we've had of the power of God's love to forgive came from the statements made this week by the family members of those who were mercilessly slaughtered at their church during their Bible study on Wednesday night. Did, did you see that on the news? Did you, did you hear what they said when they were given the chance to speak to the killer? Over and over again, I forgive you. I 
forgive you. In the midst of their tears, in the midst of their pain, I forgive you. Folks, that is the power of Christ alive within you and within me, and it will overcome evil and injustice every time, every time. The power of Christ's love in us. Now, some of you may remember the old TV show called Father Knows Best. Anybody with me? A few of you are admitting that you're at least as old as me. Thank you for that. Um, Father Knows Best. And, um, and, and I know now that there's a great deal of truth to that, but back then, I was convinced that my father didn't know much of anything. Um, a dear friend of our family uh, was uh, way too young when he was killed in a motorcycle accident. I think that's the reason that my dad was so adamant that none of his kids ever get on a motorcycle. Just don't, don't, don't do it. And I'm at a friend's house one day when... Um, he's there with his motorcycle and invites me to take a ride on it. And I hop on like I've been riding a motorcycle all my life, like I had good sense. And I'm just cruising around in that backyard when all of a sudden I get a little too close to the back of the house. And I'm thinking, well, I, I can still recover from this. I mean, I've got just a little bit of room here. I can still recover when all of a sudden. Um, so you remember those old window units in houses, the air conditioner? Yeah, so all of a sudden there's a window unit there, and it's not the window unit. I missed it, but there's a bracket that comes out in an angle that supports the window unit. I didn't miss it. It caught me right here on the shoulder and turned the wheel of that motorcycle up against the side of the house, so I'm now riding and, and made my hand go like this on the throttle, so now I'm riding even faster down the back of that house. My front tire just skidding all the way until I hit the porch. Boom, and I went flying. Um... Man, that hurt. Um, my shoulder was killing me. I think I broke uh, my little toe on my right foot. And um, you never knew how much that little toe could hurt, but I was in some serious pain. And so now, I mean, just across the street from my house, and now I've got to hobble home. So I'm going hobbling home, and I am hurting. I mean, really hurting. But I've got to try to sneak in and get back to my bedroom. And so I did for a little while, but the pain wouldn't go away. So finally, I got to hurting so bad, I just went out and confessed. Um, I had broken my father's commandment. And now, again, <laughs> he's going to have to bail me out financially because he's going to have to pay for the repairs to the motorcycle and to the back of that house. And this time, I didn't even get a, a stern talking to. I think my dad knew that I'd learned my lesson. And he carefully, tenderly helped my mom bandage me. He helped bring healing to me. I believe there's something of this in the prodigal son story, too. I think healing was at the core of what the Father was doing in our reading and what God the Father calls us to be about. The younger son was hurting because he recognized how wrong he had been and how badly he had treated his father. I'm not worthy to be your son, but the ring and the best robe and the sandals and killing that fatted calf reserved only for these huge events and celebrations. All of this was salve for the soul for the younger son. Even the older son, hurting from the misunderstanding of his father's love. Uh, again, the father goes out to him and says, don't you get it? 
All I have is yours. You've always been with me. All I have is yours. Don't you know how much I love you? Being a godly parent is about offering healing when your children are hurting, healing to the lives of others. It was around this same time when I noticed that my father had stopped traveling into Texarkana. We lived in Hooks, Texas, 15 miles from Texarkana. And a little town of Hooks had one pharmacy in town where everybody went to have prescriptions filled and such as that. And it, was, uh, it took a while for me to notice, but I noticed I was actually driving with my dad into town one day to the pharmacy there, and I couldn't figure out why dad had stopped using the pharmacy in Hooks. And so I asked him the question. And he said that one day he was in that pharmacy when a, when a black gentleman from town came in to have his prescription filled. Pharmacist filled his prescription, took his money, man left. And the men of the town, the pharmacist right there in the midst of them began to tell racist jokes and to make fun of this man who's just left. And dad said, I've never been back in there and I won't go back in there. I've always admired my dad for taking that stand. I learned a lot about social justice that day. Um, but my dad said, I, I, you know, it, this, just the, the hypocrisy of, of taking this man's money uh, and, and then talking about him that way, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. The racism drove me away. Now, dad never talked to the pharmacist about that. He's a lifelong family friend. But I've always admired my dad for taking that stand. And in our world today, especially given the horrors of this past Wednesday night and the despicable racist hate crime, uh, which took the lives of nine innocent Christian Americans, I believe it is all the more important that we not only take a stand against racism, injustice, and prejudice in whatever forms, but that we speak out clearly against it every time we have the opportunity can't let this go on. It's not who God's called us to be. We are brothers and sisters, and, and, and Scripture is clear. The prodigal son, prodigal God story, I think, makes it clear to us. He wouldn't let the older brother walk away from his relationship with the younger brother. We are our brothers and sisters' keepers, amen? And God won't let us walk away from that relationship. Well, I put this next story off long enough. I am not proud of it, but it is my ultimate prodigal son story. And it is my witness more than that to the love and grace of God. I, I was raised in a Christian home. I'm so thankful for that. I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior uh, many years before. But in my teens, I really began to make some, some bad decisions. I... Um, now, and this wasn't a bad decision. I began seeing this beautiful young woman. That was a great decision. Um, she's sitting right there. Um, and a great decision. But it wasn't long before I allowed my relationship with her to take place of my relationship with him. And that is always a recipe for disaster. And at the age of 17, I learned that we were expecting a child. And as you might imagine, there was a lot of soul searching and there was a lot of praying 
and we reached the decision together that we were going to marry and raise this child together. But now we had to tell my parents. I remember that night in particular, and we sat there in our, our living room, and they were sitting across the room from us when we told them the news. I told them the news that we were expecting a child, and we were going to marry and raise this child together. And you know what my dad did in that moment? Of all the things he could have done, of all the things he could have said, he got up out of his chair, he walked right over to Kathy, two trembling teenagers, gave her a great big hug and said, welcome to the family. Every time I'm blessed as a pastor to perform a baptism, guess what words we use on the bulletin every time? <laughs> welcome to the family. And then he hugged me too. And I have never been more proud of my earthly father in my whole life than in that moment because when I needed him most, he came through in an amazing way, showed me the love of God in Christ in, in a way that I, that I don't think I've ever seen before or since. It was just so amazing. No blaming, no scolding, no accusing. Come home. Come home. It is the story of God's grace God's love. I, I could tell you more. There's a whole other story about how when, when we turned our lives over to Christ uh, on, on making this decision, we turned our family over to him, how God redeemed our family and blessed us, blessing upon blessing. I could connect those dots for you. It's a, it's a great story. I'll save it for another time. But God blessed us with a daughter and then later a son. And even the fact now that God has called me and uses me as a pastor in his church and, and, and now our son and daughter-in-law too, it is an amazing part of God's love and God's grace. Praise be to our loving God. My father's 91 years old. And um, I realize this more and more every year that we're not always going to have him with us. His mind is still so sharp. I, I, I wonder sometimes if mine will be that sharp when I hit 60, uh, as his is now. Um, but, um, but, but my mom is seven years younger, and, and for many years now, she's suffered with dementia. She's lost basically all of her short-term memory. And that can be kind of a dangerous condition for someone. And, um, and I'll tell you, my dad has a new mission uh, field, a new, a new purpose, mission in life, and that is being the caregiver for my mom. Because she'll be in, when she has a conversation, it's so sad because she was so bright, so intelligent, so engaging and social, and now she sits and asks you the same question over and over and over because she just can't remember that she asked that a second ago. And, and I know it's hard for my dad. I know it's frustrating for him sometimes. I, I know he hates to see what's happened to her. I know it's embarrassing for him when, when other people come around and they see how mom is. I know that hurts him. But he has made it his life mission. I, I really think my dad has stayed alive so that he could care for my mom. He's had his own health issues. But that he has, he has fought to stay alive so that he could make sure mom is taken care of, and it is, uh, it's the sweetest thing. Um, he won't let her go. Clearly, this is something of what the story of the loving, loving father teaches us. Don't let them go. Keep going after them. Embarrassingly so, if you must. 
Set your pride aside, whatever it takes, but don't let them go. The last story I'll share with you, I promise, is more about your own pastor, um, what it means to be a godly man, what it means to be a godly parent. If you were here for the Christmas Eve service, which wasn't really Christmas Eve, it was sometime sooner, but if you were here for that service, you might remember this. Uh, I think we have it on the screen for you. Uh, this is a, uh, a Christmas list that Eric made for us as his parents when he was about eight or nine years old. I think we ha uh, you have it there. Now, there we go. There's Eric's Christmas list. Baseball cards at the top of the list. That gives you something uh, there. But, um, but he made this uh, wonderful Christmas list for us, and we have laughed about this. We have it in a frame at our house, and we've laughed about it over and over and over again. Can you scroll down to the, well, I think there are three slides there. Maybe show the second slide. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, uh, so there are so many things on here that, um, that we thought were just uh, absolutely uh, hilarious and sweet. Some of it's really sweet, like, he, like when he asked for a year off of work for daddy. I thought that was the, the sweetest thing. Uh, or when he asked for two of his friends to be uh, Eric V. Uh, and Charles to be better students. Um, <laughs> some of it was pretty creative, I thought, like when he asked for a robot to do things for him, like cleaning his room. Um, and some of it was really just quite funny, like when he asked for a new name, Gary, for example. Um, <laughs> Y'all be sure and call him Gary next week if he's back here with you all. Right, call him, whenever he's back, call him Gary. Um, and, um, and, and then the, the funniest thing to us was that he asked for Carmen Tyler's phone number. Now, Carmen Tyler was a few grades ahead of, of Eric and a really pretty girl in school. And I guess Eric had a great eye for beauty even back then. She went on to become Miss Louisiana, 1995. And, um, and Kathy and I ran into Carmen's mom sometime after that. And, uh, and, and we told her that story uh, about Eric's Christmas list. And she thought it was hilarious, too, so she told Carmen. And Carmen got one of her pageant pictures and autographed it. This is my number, and she wrote a scripture passage down for her number. Um, and and, and, uh, and we, we wrapped it up, Kathy wrapped that up, and we gave it to Eric for Christmas. We all thought it was hilarious. Gio uh, wasn't quite as thrilled about it as the rest of us, but, but uh, we thought it was funny. And, um, and anyway, I guess the point that I'm really trying to get at here is um, the Christmas list with our kids, and maybe some of you have experienced this too, um, just kept getting longer and longer, more and more stuff. And I remember one year when I was having one of those pity parties because I knew we couldn't begin to pay for half the stuff on that list, and I was even crying out to God a little bit, what are we going to do here? I mean, there's no way we can buy all this stuff. And... Um, you know, just crying out to God. And, and it was like God spoke to me in that moment and said, Chuck, don't you realize how wonderful it is that your son has no thought that you might not be willing to give him every good thing? You realize how wonderful it is that your child doesn't even have a single thought that he might not be good enough or worthy enough to receive his father's blessing and everything that you can provide? Don't you know that my heart longs for children like that, God said to me? longs for children like that. 
My heart longs for kids who are so sure of my love that they can run into my presence and jump into my lap and ask me for every good thing that they can even think of or imagine and know that I want to give it to them. I think being a godly parent includes cultivating that kind of relationship with your children such that they know that they can come to you with anything, any problem, any concern, any, uh, any request, and know that you will listen and know that you will have their best interest at heart and do whatever you can to help. Well, I'm, I'm out of time. I was going to do a little recap here, but I hope some of that stuck with you and, if, and uh, that you heard something in that that can speak to you about being uh, faithful, effective uh, parent, godly parent, godly father, godly man, godly woman. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we thank you today for who you are the ultimate loving parent, and, and for the model that you have given us to follow. We thank you today for all the men and women in our lives who have lived that out in human flesh, who've shown us that same godly love and modeled it for us in, in everyday living, who've helped us in our lostness to be found again, helped us to see that when we couldn't see our worth in your eyes, who've helped us to know that we are truly, deeply loved, who've reminded us that we are so loved and so blessed in order to show love and to be a blessing to others, to, your, to our children, to all children, to all people anywhere who are hurting or in need, our sisters and brothers and you. Teach us, we pray, to love as you love. Teach us what it truly means for each of us to live as godly men, godly women, godly people. Guide us by your Spirit alive in us, we pray. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.